You are listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Do not, under any circumstances, look at porn. Ancient tools and burials, plants and seeds, Neanderthals. All these things we make no apology for the study of archaeology. But we don't do dinosaurs, no we don't do dinosaurs. Welcome to the Archaeological Fantasies Podcast, Episode 43. I'm your host, Sarah, with my co-host, Ken Fader. And today we're discussing how to talk to people who may or may not believe in the fringe. What do you do when you encounter a group of individuals who are looking for a spiritual experience out in the desert? How do you respond to people threatening to sue you because they don't agree with your opinion? And what is the internet actually for? Get ready to think critically. You will see are a staple of archaeology, but we don't do dinosaurs. No, we don't do dinosaurs. No, we don't do dinosaurs. Welcome to the podcast. I am your host, Sarah, with my co-host, Ken. How's it going? It's going well, Sarah. How are you? I am good. And today we are going to talk about Close Encounters with the Fringe. And all of the fun things that happen when you actually interact with the fringe face-to-face via emails or conversations or, in Ken's case, while you're on vacation. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's one of the, 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 um, the part of our job description should be that you're going to end up with people calling you, emailing you, or confronting you in public about some really weird shit. True and story. they want... They want your, they want your validation. They want to know, hey, what, what's going on? What is it? They'll show you pictures. They'll show you artifacts. I, I cannot begin to count up the numbers of times people at public, usually it's public, um, lectures that I've given where people have a box and they go, <laughs> what do you think of that? Ah, uh, the box. More often and more often than not. I mean, these are well-meaning people and I don't mean to disparage them at all, but you know, you walk through the woods enough, you're going to find strange rocks, and that's usually what what it is, and what these things are. And it, I, I hate to be the one to you know burst their bubble and say, well, you know what you got there, what you have right there in your hand is what we call in archaeology we call that a rock. <laughs> and and they go, that's all it is, yeah. But you know what? You know what they call it in England? They go, what? I said, they call it a rock in England. They speak English in England. It's all the same thing. And but yeah. And then I know, I don't know if you've ever heard this, Sarah. I've heard this a thousand times where after you tell them it's just a rock, they say, but see how it fits your hand? Well, you know, you know, well, listen, dude, you're not going to pick up a 30 ton boulder. You're going (laughs) to pick up something that fits your hand. Right. Because that's easy to pick up. It's, it's funny that you mentioned that because we just got done interviewing, um, Sharon Hill from Doubtful News. And after the, after the interview, she sent um, Jeb and I this really interesting picture. Apparently, there is a gentleman somewhere. Uh, he thinks he has found a giant's skull. Oh, I've seen this on the internet. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And it's it's a rock. It's a rock. It's it a so giant totally square-shaped rock that has kind of like this mushed indent in the very, I guess, front. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen where it. Where he's determined the front. It's a... Uh, doesn't look anything like a skull, but apparently that's what giant skulls look like. And apparently they also weigh like a metric ton because yeah. this thing's huge. <laughs> yeah. And he's think, carting it around, man. I think he's actually, or at least somebody has said, it's a Sasquatch skull. So it's, you know, you want evidence of Bigfoot? We have it right he's here. Got, he's got a, sats, a, a petrified got a sats- Sasquatch yeah. skull. Hey, listen, we got a minute. This, this actually reminds me of a time I got a phone call from somebody living in the southeastern part of Connecticut. Um, they had seen me on TV. They had got my phone number. This is before the internet, so it's a long time ago, before email. And they said that they, what they had discovered on their property, they believed was a petrified mastodon foot. Okay. And I'd say, oh, seriously? And, um, you know, I was young and, I was younger and stupid or stupider than I am now. And I said, oh, what the hell? I'll go, I'll drive down. And it was, Connecticut's not a huge state, but still can be a couple hour drive across the state. Anyway, I got, I get into this woman's, um, house and it's a beautiful house and the, 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 um, living room has been completely transformed into, uh, a museum in which this petrified mastodon's foot is being displayed 
on a white carpet in the middle of the room with all these, you know, photographic lights okay. that she has purchased okay. to highlight this wonderful mastodon's foot. Well, I and mean, I walk- points for uh, points for putting it up for display. I, I guess. guess so. I guess so. Anyway, I walked in, and first of all, she says, "Doesn't it look just like a mastodon's foot?" And I got to be honest with you, maybe <laughs> if maybe if you were like kind of drunk <laughs> and you squinted with one eye and cocked your head one way, you kind of sort of it could look like an elephant's foot. But what it was, in fact, it was an iron concretion. It was an entirely natural geological feature. We do have iron in Connecticut. In fact, we had an iron industry in Connecticut for a while, and it was mostly bog iron. It's not these big seams of, of, of iron ore that you would need huge, um, huge pieces of equipment to, to mine. These were things in, found in wetlands, and they were, in fact, essentially iron concretions. Uh-huh. And so that's what this thing was. And it just had kind of a peculiar shape, but I, and I had to, she was extremely nice and extremely disappointed when the expert said, well, no, actually, that's, an elephant's foot wouldn't petrify anyway. Maybe the bones would, would, would fossilize, but, but the, the, you know, the body of the elephant itself in Connecticut is not going to petrify. And I showed that it, in fact, was, you could see the iron kind of rusting off of the surface of it. This is the kind of thing that we get on a fairly regular basis people and now right now what we're talking about are people who are you know pretty much honest upstanding citizens they just don't know a lot about the topic and so they find something and they think this is really important this is incredibly significant the very worst story i can tell you was of an elderly woman uh, living near the airport here, Bradley Airport, which is the airport in Connecticut, Hartford Springfield Airport. And um, she lived near the airport, and she had uh, contacted a number of archaeologists about Indian caves that were on her property. Mm-hmm. And I was like the fourth in line who got this information, and everybody <laughs> kept kind of handing it down and handing it down. And so I actually was the closest person. I, what the hell? I'll go see the Indian caves. Right. And she was an extremely lovely old woman, um, not in the best of health. And so when I arrived there, she pointed to the behind her house and she said, the cave is up there. And I said, okay. And I said, are you capable of actually bringing me up the hill to show me the cave? And she said, no, 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 I really can't do that. I'm not physically able to do that. And I said, okay. And then I asked her, well, could you draw me a little map here to show me where the cave is? And she says, no, I, I can't do that either. Okay. And I said, well, can you point exactly where the cave is? She goes, no, I really can't. And I said, well, how am I going to find the cave? And she goes, well, it's up there. You just got to go up there. And I said, well, have you ever been to it? Oh, no, no, I've never been to it. Have <laughs> I you just seen, know it's there. Have you seen photographs of it? No, 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 I've never seen photographs of it. And I asked her, how do you know it's there? Are you ready, Sarah? I'm ready. Um, an Indian came to her in a dream. Yep. <laughs> and told her that there was a cave up there. Now, I mean, how do you react to that? This is not a nasty person. She wasn't attempting to waste my time. She was absolutely convinced that she had had a paranormal dream, a precognitive dream, or whatever you want to call it, in which I, the spirit or ghost of a Native American told her there was a cave and that, you know, she should tell people about it. And she was doing what he told her to do. Yeah. I told her, you know what? Um, I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to have to come back. (laughs) I'd be screwed if I was going to walk up some, some rocky cliff that probably had copperheads and God knows what else to find a cave that she only knew about because of some dream that she had had. Now, again, I'm not making fun of this woman, um, at all. I'm just saying this is the kind of thing that people want to participate in archaeology. They want to share this stuff with us. Yeah. And and sometimes it's not especially helpful. Well, and that's that's part of the problem with when you interact with people from the fringe, whether they're like diehard people or not. Right, right. The problem is is they believe what they're telling you. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. And it's – they're not – 
like it's very rare really to get somebody who's like trying to get do the whole gotcha thing it you right. will run into those people but it's mm-hmm. very rare to do it most of the time like you said you're running into very earnest people oh, who yeah. believe, sincere sincere Absolutely. believe what they're telling you and you have to react appropriately you can't just like scoff at them because obviously they're wrong you know you you have yeah, to kind yeah. of diplomatically yeah. find a way to be like ah uh, no yeah you can you, you be very polite to them to their faces and then you make fun of them in podcasts <laughs> you have a podcast and you <laughs> make fun of them, yes. are, clearly never gonna see um but so that's yeah. what you think <laughs> yeah well somewhere whatever. there's someone scribing your name onto a list oh my god i uh, well listen you know if this is the worst thing, if, if when they if when the role is called up yonder and they're looking at all the bad stuff I've done in my life, if making fun of some elderly lady who thought there was a cave in her backyard, if that's on the top of the list, I'm doing okay. You know, the funny part's going to be <coughs> when somebody goes out there to survey for some reason and they and actually a find a cave. <laughs> well, I mean, there are rock shelters all over the place right. on, on these hills. And so th- that's actually an interesting point that this kind of the, the, merely because – uh, a prediction is made, and it turns out to 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 come to some fruition. It comes out, it turns out to be true. Isn't necessarily there isn't necessarily a direct correlation between what the person said and the fact that this thing is there. There to to say that there are that there's a rock shelter or a cave someplace in these the hills of Granby, Connecticut, is kind of the equivalent of saying, you know what, tomorrow in Connecticut it will be warm and sunny. Yeah, it's June. You kind of can't. You can't miss with a prediction like that. Right. And that's that's kind of the equivalent. So I'm not going to – I won't change my worldview if, in fact, they find a rock shelter some someplace in Granby um, where this – in the general vicinity where this woman suggested there might be one. Well, and that's another problem that you encounter when dealing with people from the French is they don't understand uh, – well, the human mind just doesn't understand statistics very well. I mean, yeah, we right. created it because, uh, like, it's math and we created that, but we don't – it's not a natural thing for us to comprehend. Right. Um, and so, yeah, people don't understand when you're in that particular area of Connecticut, you can chuck a rock and there's, you're going to run into something. It's like being in the Midwest. And, right. you know, if you're along a stream bed in a relatively flat area in the Midwest, you're probably going to find some kind of prehistoric site. Yeah. You know, I it's, think, right. I think we, we even, we talked about this a little bit. We talked about on the, the podcast about psychic archaeology. Right. That the fact that somebody can take a map, a U.S. Geological Survey quadrangle map, and point to a place and say, I, you, I feel psychically that you're going to find a site there. Right. If you do, it's not proof of their psychic ability if what they're doing is pointing their finger at a place where a little stream feeds into a big river. It's flat. Um, there's good, there's good flint available right nearby. I mean, that's, that's kind of a, you, you know, 95% of the time, you're going to be correct if you say, I think there's a site there. Archaeologists have internalized that, and when we do surveys, we apply that intuition, but it's not really intuition, it's experience all right. of the time. We come upon some high area in a floodplain, and it's dry all year, and there's a flat area all around it, it's a freshwater source, and we say, we say internally, we go, you know, I bet you there's a site right there. And when we find one, we don't think, oh, my God, we're a psychic. No, what we're, all we're doing is applying some, a little bit of common sense and all that experience we have searching for and finding sites. Well, and I also, be, you know, the whole concept of the eco-fact, um, we, the, the human brain is kind of programmed to see things, regardless of if it's really there or that. I call it pareidolia, but... Right, we're, Right, but that's where the whole eco-fact and the cool rock thing comes in. I think every museum and every college that I've that has an archaeological program that I've been to or talked to, they all have a box of cool rocks, basically. Right. And they're, they're <coughs> eco-facts, which are objects that are natural that look to be altered by man, but they're not. They're, they're just rocks, right. or they're just they, a piece of wood, or things yeah. like that. C. Vance Haynes, very well-known geologist who did a lot of work with archaeology, I think he coined the term geofacts for rocks. Yeah. Where, where somebody picks it up and goes, isn't that a strange shape? Nature produces some pretty strange shaped rocks. And, and, uh, there's that folks who know about, um, lithic, the production of stone tools know very specifically what to look for. Um, 
when when examining a rock to see if in fact it's the product of some human activity if somebody was banging that rock and trying to make a tool out of it well another one that i see a lot of um talk about geofact are um rocks with holes in them oh yeah especially really nice drilled looking holes i have a couple of myself because i just think they're neat looking but they're they're completely natural but they look like someone has taken the time to bore a hole through this nice flat otherwise perfect skipping stone so yeah exactly and that's there's, there actually is, uh, I'm not sure I've mentioned this on a previous, previous podcast, but it, it sort of is absolutely with our theme today. Um, I gave a lecture a lo- uh, at some local historical society, and at the end of the lecture, a gentleman approached me with a large, fat volume filled with photographs. And uh, the, the, archeo- the lecture I had given was about archaeological frauds. I talked about the Carter Giant. And he had this big, fat volume, and he goes, well, these aren't archaeological frauds, are they? And what they were were photographs of large boulders. <laughs> and they were all boulders that he had taken photographs of in southern New England. And he asked, well, what what do I – he asked me, what do you think they are? And, again, based on my knowledge of geology, and I have a little bit right. of that knowledge, and based on um, these you know, pretty dark photographs he had given me, I said, well, you know, those look to me like they're – big glacial erratics. And I said, and I started talking about, you know, the, the, the development of geology and how folks began recognizing the uh, existence of these very large boulders that seem to have been moved from someplace else. Oftentimes they're not, uh, they're not the local rock. The local bedrock is different from the rock, these, these large boulders right. and how this was one of the ways in which ge- um, the glaciology, the movement of glacial ice was figured out based on you map these things in, you can see where the, the glaciers went. So I said, I think they're erratics. And the guy's response was really interesting. His response was, well, I don't know anything about geology, <laughs> but they're not erratics. Right. And here's the deal about that. And I don't mean to be rude, or maybe I do. <laughs> if you If you preface any statement with, I don't know anything about the relevant topic, your best bet at that point is to shut the, and I don't mean to be rude, but it's like, if you were to ask me about some, you know, neurological question because you were having some medical issues, and if I said to you, well, Sarah, I don't know anything about neurology, at that point, you should just turn me off. Because oh, no, that, that means, that means that you know more than actual doctors, and I should totally just listen to everything yeah, you have yes, to say. Because my mind hasn't been polluted by facts. Exactly. We've had but, this discussion. But, but it's, it is an extremely strange attitude to have to preface what you're, the, the wisdom you're about to impart on me, you preface it by saying, I don't know anything about this topic. I think, well, then, my God, are you, aren't you embarrassed to share your opinion at that point? I when wonder, you start, I wonder if that's not like, like a humble brag or, or like trying to tell people like, it's so obvious that you don't need this fancy degree to see that these are X, you know. I, 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 I really, Sarah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think a rational response to, I don't know anything about this is that, okay, that's the end of the freaking conversation. Right. And I, I'm, I, you know, I don't, I don't know a lot about a lot of stuff, Sarah, and, I'm not going to ever say, I don't know anything about this, but here's what I think. Well, then who cares what I think if I don't know anything about it? Right. So I think that was extremely nice. And he was convinced that they're not glacial erratics based on what I don't know. Because in order to diagnose what these large boulders were, you kind of need to know about geology, don't you? I mean, again, from my very limited perspective, you need to know stuff about something before you can make a pronouncement about it. I think if but, you're going to make a claim that they are not what they appear to be, then yeah, you probably need something to back that up. But people yeah. underestimate the amount of field experience you pick up after, I don't know, how long have you been doing archaeology? I mean, it's 35 years. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm pretty sure you can spot a boulder. <laughs> well, yes. And I don't have a degree in boulderology. boulderology. I, I, will, I will admit to that. But it's the kind of thing where, yeah, you know what, archaeologists, we don't need to know a lot about, you know, um, the neurological sciences, but geology, we do need to know a lot about. Yeah, and we do pick um, up a lot about. And it's, you know, and it's very, it's a, it's a narrow knowledge. It's, you know, I, 
I don't know a lot about, I, I couldn't, if you gave me an exam in advanced geology, I would do miserably. But when it comes to identifying t certain kinds of rocks that are meaningful and significant to the, the, the native people who are making tools out of those rocks, I'm pretty good. And I can identify the kinds of rocks type, rock types we have here in Connecticut because I encounter them all of the, I have the PhDs in geology. And I said, okay, what's that? How do I know what that is? Okay. I internalize that. So I guess not, I'm not seem to be an expert, but identifying a glacial erratic, you know, that's not that hard to do. So yeah, you know, if, if you don't know anything about geology, maybe it is kind of hard to do. And, but God bless him. This guy had page after page after page of photographs, folders. Poor guy. That, yeah, and and he was he was convinced that they were in some way they were cultural that that not that the boulders themselves had been made by people but they had been um, this was the other thing about oh, it oh they'd been arranged he, he told them that they were in lines mm -hmm. and I said well you know dude very often glacial material that's deposited by a glacier is arranged in patterns because sometimes sometimes the rocks are along the edges of the glacier and sometimes they're pushed up they're end moraines at the, the end of a glacier. And so they're not randomly strewn about the landscape. They follow the movement of the glacier. He, he didn't like that explanation. See, either. and that comes back to that whole we see patterns. Right, yes. We as humans see patterns even where there aren't any. And sometimes and, we miss them even when they exist. So, you know, it's kind of a weird dual-edged sword there. But. And, and, but, but there's a triple-edge to the sword, and you <laughs> mentioned before, which is... You cannot assume that nature is patternless and only an intelligent force, a human, human beings or extraterrestrial aliens or whatever could produce a pattern. You, there are patterns all around us. Crystals have patterns. Snowflakes have patterns. The, 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 a sunflower has a pattern and you can't simply draw a sunflower and say, well, nature couldn't do that. What do you mean it can't do that? It does it all the time. Yeah. Um, there's a, uh, well, hang on. What, Let's go to break real quick. Absolutely. And when we come back, we will talk about a neat encounter that you had in a yeah, canyon. Absolutely. No, no, no. This was in, in Sedona, in Arizona. All right. We're going to talk about the encounter that Ken had in Sedona. Kim Biddulph explores the books set in our prehistoric past on Prehistories, an innovative and creative show. Kim investigates the archaeology and anthropology behind your favorite stories by bringing on guests that are experts in the field and that can speak to the actual story behind the story. Check out the show at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com forward slash prehistories. Now let's get back to the show. We are back, and we are talking about Ken's close encounter in Sedona. Yeah, yeah we're going to talk about. First of all, let me tell you one thing: Sedona, <laughs> Arizona, is one of the most beautiful places. I hear that I've from ever, a lot of people. Oh uh, no, man, it is just the the red rocks. They're phantasmagoric. It's the only way to describe it. It's an incredibly beautiful, beautiful place. Piercingly blue sky. This is in Arizona. Um, elevation. I don't remember what the elevation is exactly. It's high up enough. You get really great. I am um, incredibly blue skies that you take pictures of, of the sky in Sedona and of the rocks and you show them to people and they go, you photoshopped that, right? You go, no, that's really the colors of the sky and the rocks in Sedona. Beautiful I remember, place. I remember being in Flagstaff, Arizona. Um, yeah. And it, it was like the weather was awesome yeah, and yeah. it was 95 nice degrees and it was beautiful. It was yeah. just beautiful. Yeah. So yeah. So, so anyhow, Sedona is, um, yeah, it's kind of a new agey capital and lots of people walk around and they find, they sense these powerful vortexes. And we, I've read what the vortexes are. I, it, it doesn't mean anything. And I don't even understand what the hell they're talking about. Essentially, you go to a place that's really beautiful and you feel emotionally overwhelmed. Well, yeah, that means you're a human being. It doesn't mean that there's some magnetic forces in the earth that are drawing out your whatever. So anyway, there also are also a couple of cool archaeological sites in Sedona that are on uh, national, uh, it's national, it's federal land, forest land. Uh -huh. I think it's the Coconino National Forest. And one of them is a place called Honanke. It's cute little, uh, very small, but very well-preserved cliff dwelling with a lot of rock art and Palaki. And that's the one I want to talk about. And I've been to these a, a, a number of times. They are... Um, 
the guides are, I think, for the most part, are volunteers, just people, sometimes retired folks who love these places. And so it was on one of these trips to Palaki, um, and they're, they're really good about it. They're, they're very protective of these sites. And so they don't want you just kind of wandering around. There's a guide there who loves giving the tour and giving the lecture. And the guy I had this one time, his name is Spence, and he's a retired geologist. So what's better than that? You got a, a guy with a, a love and understanding for the, the natural, the landscape of Sedona, who's giving you a tour and talking about this archaeological site, cliff dwelling, maybe a thousand years old, mm-hmm. Palaki. Um, and there's, you know, there's a little ranger station down to the base there, like it's kind of an, an, an RV that surfaces the ranger <laughs> station. Anyway, so you walk up these switchbacks, not terribly bad, and and I said to, I introduced myself to Spence. I'm an archaeologist. And he says, oh, that's great. I'd like to give you a tour of the site. I said, it's fantastic. And so we're, there's an, an alcove with a uh, cliff dwelling, and then there are other alcoves with rock art. And while we're up there, and this is the kind of site that maybe they get a couple of dozen people a day. It's up a dirt road, and people are doing other stuff in Sedona. And it's a relatively small site. And we look down the hill, though, and there's a bunch of people walking up the switchbacks. Uh-huh. Now, I have no right ever to make fun of people as being aging hippies because <laughs> hell man i was born in 1952 i came of age in the late 60s and early 70s i was a hippie in college my hair i have curly hair it was so big i couldn't walk through a door without banging my hair against the, the door the door frame That's funny. so i'm not making fun of aging hippies these people kind of look like aging hippies a lot of tie, too much tie-dye and sandals and walking sticks with carved images on the top. I, I, I shouldn't judge, but I guess I was. And, <laughs> a little but bit. But it was cool. It was cool that this group, and they obviously were all together, and there was a leader, a woman in a tie-dyed flowing dress. Fantastic. So they come up the hill, and Spence greets them very, um, very friendly. He's very friendly to them. He says, oh, it's wonderful. Um, would you like, would you care to join the tour that I'm giving? with this gentleman here, and I'm fine with that. And the woman uh, who was leading the tour got a kind of persnickety about it. She said, no, 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 we don't want to be on any tour. We we want to be alone. We want to go do something on our own. <laughs> and Spence, who is in charge of protecting the site, says to them, well, actually, I can't allow you to do that. That's one of the deals here is that we need a, a tour guide. We need a docent with people because we don't want to end up with any um, strange goings on. We don't want any vandalism. And she says, well, we are demanding that you let us go our own way. And now Spence is starting to get his hackles up and say, well, no, I'm not, I cannot allow you to do that. You're on, this property is protected. There are a series of laws that protect it. And we are going to enforce those laws. And he says, if you'll join us, we'll have a great time. He says, we don't want to see that part of the site. And the part of the site Spence was taking me to is, uh, in my opinion, the most interesting. It's where all the rock art is. Right. And you figure, well, these new agey folks, they want to see mystical rock art. That's cool. If you're going to have a mystical experience anywhere in your uh, in your life, Sedona <laughs> is the place to have it. And at, a, at an ancient archaeological site with cool rock art, why the hell not? Um, and they told Spence, no, we would like to go over on the other side. And they pointed to, like, almost off the site. And... Spence said, well, why do you want to go there? And she says, we've had, we were here previously and we had a mystical experience over there. <laughs> over there. And so Spence says, well, oh, that's all well and good, but I'm in the middle of a tour with this gentleman. You'll have to wait. Well, they got really mad at that. We don't want to wait. You can't make us wait. And you know, Sarah, I'm a swell guy. You know, I'm a terrific guy. And so I want to diffuse this situation. And I say to Spence, and then, you know, Spence, I don't mind waiting and sitting here. I'm perfectly okay with that. If the, these folks really need to see that part of the site right now, you walk them over there. I don't have a problem with that. Right. And, and Spence says, well, if, as long, no, it's, oh, it's really up to you, Ken. You, you have, they can't force, Spence, you go ahead and do it, man. It's a beautiful day. I'm sitting here at this thousand year old site. Where, <laughs> where would I want, I would, there's no place I'd rather be. So go ahead, not a problem. And they were very appreciative, the folks who it spoke to. No, thank you very much. Okay. So they walk off with Spence. They spent maybe 10 minutes over there. 
As they walk back, Spence has got this this grin on his face, like all like rolling his eyes at me, like oh my god, and and they're about to leave, and two interesting things happen. One of the young men, he was a young man, came over to me. This is one of the people who went and had their mystical experience. Came over to me, looked me in the eyes, and he said, "Wait a minute, you're an archaeologist, aren't you?" <laughs> and, I, you know, I look at myself sometimes and do I freaking look like an archaeologist? I mean, what's up with that? And I said, uh, yeah. Did you have your fedora and whip that day? No, the deal is he recognized me from archaeologist. And he says, I recognize you from that TV show. This is exactly what he says, Sarah. I recognize you from that TV show about the theory of that Polish archaeologist that the Egyptian pyramids were built by spacemen. And I, I'm kind of at a loss. I go, Polish archaeologist? I said, do you mean the Swiss writer Eric von Donneken? He goes, yeah, yeah, that's him, the Polish archaeologist. I said, no, 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 no. He's not. First of all, he's not Polish. He is Swiss. And second of all, he's not an archaeologist. He's a writer, in my mind, a fantasy writer. He right. goes, oh, Polish, whatever. But Polish, he Swiss, a, whatever. He makes a really good case that the um, – Ancient astronauts built the pyramids, and they built the Maya pyramids too. Yeah. And I said, I said, buddy, there really is. No, and I tried, I tried to just give him kind of the a standard archaeological explanation for how you determine who built the pyramid, or how you determine who built Stonehenge. And you look at the archaeological record, and you look at the time depth, and you look at change through time, and you look at trial and error. It's the, the standard kinds of stuff that any archaeologist would try to explain gently to somebody who thought that you know, the pyramids appeared overnight and it must be aliens from outer space. Right. And he said, well, I don't know about that. I think you really have to have an open mind. And I said, <laughs> having an open mind doesn't mean accepting crap. You know, you an open mind is good. You also need to have a skeptical mind and an analytical mind. And then he then, but then what he said, Sarah, was really interesting. He said, "Well, like the Maya, for example, they were a simple people in the jungle. Yet their number system, they could count really high. Why would they need to do that?" And you know, there's these kind of non sequiturs where you just kind of look south and say, "What the hell am I supposed to say to that?" But I say, "Listen, buddy, the fact that the Maya had a, an interesting and sophisticated number system." All it means is they had an interesting and sophisticated number system. They they use these numbers in their calendars. They use them in engineering. Um, these were a sophisticated, civil, civilized people. This was a civilization. And yeah, you know, they the fact that they had an interesting number system doesn't mean that it was given to them by astronauts. And then he topped it off by saying, yeah, but it was a base 12 system. And I said, I, I said, no, it wasn't. He goes, yeah, it was. The people who introduced that number system must have had six fingers on each hand. And you get it, Sarah? Human beings have five fingers on each hand. Extraterrestrials have six fingers on each hand. So I explained to him that, in fact, the Maya number system was based on the number 20, not on 12. <laughs> and he he just he was shook and said, no, I'm, I think it's 12. And I said, well, if you think that, you're you're wrong. It's not a base 12 <laughs> well, nervous <you're> system. <laughs> it's very, and I started showing them on the hand that, you know, there are dots for one, there are bars for five, and four of those bars adds up to 20. That, and he just, he wasn't having any of that, Sarah. And we left, I shook, we shook hands. He left, uh, the whole group left. And we, you know, he, he just, the last thing he said to me was, well, you're, you just need to have an open mind. And I said, you know, I have an open, but when I determine something is, is demonstrably false, I can kick that to the curb. I don't have to keep reconsidering. Oh, well, have a good time. And they left. Now, <laughs> if that was all that had happened, it would have been pretty goddamn entertaining. But there was more. But there was after, more. After they left, <laughs> yes, one more thing. They, they left, and then Spence came over to me and said, you don't know the funniest part of this. And I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, they wanted to go over to, over there. You know, he pointed to the, an edge of the site and they had their mystical experience. They all held hands and they chanted and, and Spence says, I don't know if they, you know, communicated with the, the great beyond, but here's the funny part. He goes, we get a lot of new agers up here and they're really interested in Native Americans 
have unfortunately, and, and having spoken to Native Americans, it pisses them, many of them, it pisses off that <laughs> can't that imagine non, why that non-natives with a new age philosophy try to appropriate Indian tradition, ceremonies, and religion. Right. That again, there's this kind of feeling that oh well, you Indians, you really know about stuff. Right. But, it, but it's the kind of, it's almost a version of the noble savage. It's this, you know, it's like looking at, at somebody's religion as something that belongs in a museum. You can well, study it. I just got on an interesting website. It's like basically know your meme. And apparently this is a new thing. Well, newer thing that has a name and it's called the magical Indian. <laughs> oh, like, sure. That, sure. Is, right. that is the non-anthropological name for it. Right, right, right. But it's, and you're right, I've heard this again and again and again, and I've actually read articles in Indian newspapers, but Indians just sort of saying, you know, screw you, white people. Yeah. This is our religion. This is not something for you to appropriate. Yeah. You know, it's bad enough you want to buy turquoise necklaces and stuff like that, you know, but, but to, to try to, uh, steal from us what is our, steal our traditions from us and incorporate them into your new age philosophy is insulting and racist and a bunch of other stuff. But if I but, wear beads and turquoise and feathers, then that automatically makes me Native American, right? Right. Exactly. Exactly. But here's the, but here's the best part. So Spencer's telling me that you know this is the kind of stuff I expect, but these people weren't even that smart. <laughs> Says the part of the site that they went to where they had their mystical Native experience, he said technically is beyond the margins of the site. Now, where they went, there actually is a stone foundation. But it's not a stone foundation built by Native Americans a thousand years ago. It's a stone foundation built in like the 1930s by a white settler. So they're they're looking for this new age connection with the Native Americans, ignoring the actual Native American site and going to a settler foundation built in the 1930s. And then Spence said, and it's even better. The guy, the settler of that, that spot was kind of a dirt bag. <laughs> and what he did was because there wasn't a sufficient flow from the spring above the, the site, bringing water to his house, he used dynamite to blow up and destroy uh, the best part of the petroglyph panel that was there. So that's destroyed and gone. And instead of producing more water, he actually blocked up the spring completely and he had to abandon the site. <laughs> because, because, you know, if, if, if you accept the kind of new age philosophy, if you want to commune with the, the spirits and the vortexes and the, <laughs> the ancient ones or whatever, he goes, that place where those new agers went was the last place in Sedona where you should do that. Because it had nothing to do with any of that new age philosophy. And I thought, God, I mean, I, I wish I could have gone back and found those people and said, you know what your open minds have done is you've gone to the wrong place. You know, you've, you've gone to a place that should not be celebrated where there is nothing mystical about it because some dirtbag in the 1930s blew the hell up. Right. And that was, but it was, it was kind of typical of the, the, uh, the confrontations you have with folks who they're not nasty. They're not bad. They're no. not evil and they're not stupid. They're just, they just don't know about our, what, what they know about archaeology, they learned from watching cable TV or or reading a website. And the problem is, listen, folks, the, that that museums and universities have gone through a process of filtering out the crap. And so, more often than not, if you go to a website that's run by a university, that's run by a department of by an archaeology department or by an anthropology department or by a museum, those are places in which the rules of evidence apply, and they don't simply expound upon nonsense. Um, I, I, I think a, a few years ago, I was on some show talking about Egyptian pyramids. Not because I'm a pyramid expert, but just talking about this is how archaeologists figure this stuff out, right. and this is what we have figured out. Now, in a show that's an hour long, Sarah... Um, I should get like 59 minutes, but usually it's like three, you know? You just, I, you never get enough time to talk, Kevin. Well, that is I, the problem. I explain, I always describe myself on those, those shows as being a beacon of sanity in a sea of madness. Yeah. Which, if you know me, is a 
pretty sad state of affairs if I'm the beacon of sanity. Yeah. But anyway, I got an email from a, a gentleman, nice guy, smart guy, who said, you know, Fader, you think you know stuff, but you can't explain this. There's no way the Egyptians could build those pyramids by themselves. And I don't know if it was astronauts or Atlantis, but and the thing is, he was right in the sense. In that show, I had three minutes or maybe four minutes to describe how we know what we know about Egyptian pyramid building. It wasn't nearly enough time. Now, when you've got 57 minutes or however many with commercials of people saying, no, it's impossible, no, it's impossible, you can get lost in a show like that. Right. So what I did, now this is a nice guy. Um, I emailed him back. I don't know that he expected me to. And I said, look, I appreciate your perspective. I, 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 I will at least rationalize my inability to convince that the Essentians could have built the pyramids by having a lack of time. But a guy, I say, look, listen, you seem like an intelligent guy. You know, his email had no grammatical mistakes. Um, <laughs> you, you understand that you really don't learn a lot, not, not a lot of depth by watching a TV show. You've got to read. And I gave him uh, the names of a few books and I said, go back, check these books out of the library. Um, there's, you know, these books about pyramid building in Egypt and read what Egyptologists have said, what engineers have said, what architects have said. And if you're unconvinced by that argument, all right, then, then let's talk. Right. And this guy actually did what I suggested that he did. Oh, nice. He wrote me, he wrote me back, Sarah, and he said, you know, Ken, I apologize. I had no idea that you guys really had a lot of the, these mysteries were for the most part solved. And I said, yeah, that's the deal is you don't get too many documentaries in which they talk to architects, engineers, and Egyptologists and archaeologists, but you get a lot of documentaries, you know, talking to people who are, you know, blowing wind out of their asses who don't really know any of that stuff, who don't, who haven't done the research and haven't done the reading, they look at a pyramid and they go, wow, there's no way Egyptians could have built that. And so they come up with some um, extraordinary fringe explanation that involves, you know, levitation or tractor beams or UFOs or whatever. Right. It's their, it's them applying their own, and I hate to use the word ignorance, but that's what it is. It's them applying oh. their own ignorance. Like, I can't figure out how this was done. Therefore, whatever. Yeah. But let's go to a break real quick. And when we come back, we will continue discussing this. Jenny McNiven, host and diva of the struggling archaeologist's guide to getting dirty brings a witty, personal, and often musical view of archaeology. From personal experiences to just telling you about something she really loves, you'll always be informed and entertained. Listen to The Struggling Archaeologist's Guide to Getting Dirty on iTunes and Stitcher Radio and at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com forward slash struggle art. Let's get back to the show. We are back and we are still talking about how to handle how to handle the fringe when you encounter it. Um, I have had my own experience that was kind of eye opening to me. Um, about a year ago, I started reviewing the America Unearthed uh, episodes on my blog. Right, it's Scott Walters. Scott Walters show. show, which I bring up frequently. So go read it. Um, but. I, I break it down really, really well. They're very long blog posts, and I try to kind of examine all of the claims that the show puts out there. And I also examine all of the people that the show puts forward as experts. Sure. And so that leads to a lot of Googling and, and finding things out about people that they don't necessarily, that the show didn't necessarily want you to know about these people. And so the very first show was um, Mayans and Georgia. And it's it's Scott Walter spending 45 minutes trying to convince everybody that the Mayans actually came up uh, from South America and settled uh, from Mesoamerica, yeah, Mexico, from Mesoamerica, and Belize, Guatemala, Honduras, right? Right, and also like something about the clay that is used to make Mayan blue, which is a very uh, very striking blue pigment, and I guess it was used in a lot of ritual ceremonies. Um, he claims that that clay comes from Georgia. It's just completely bizarre claims the entire episode. But 
one of the gentlemen in the show, well, actually two of the gentlemen in the show, you know, I kind of took them to task. It was like the show presents them to us as X, but really they're, you know, one of them was a Templar uh, conspiracy theorist, which whatever. And the other guy, uh, (laughs) the other guy just kind of lost it on me. And it's not, I did not present them in a negative light. Like that is not my goal in these things. I don't, put anything out there that isn't something you can find on the internet and is common knowledge. And I don't put like slanderous claims or anything because that's just silly. Right. But I did call into question why either of these people were being put forward as experts on the topics that they were supposedly experts for. Right. There there are plenty of archaeologists in Georgia, plenty of people who work in mounds who probably would have agreed to be on the show. And yeah, but we can't they're... talk to those people. <laughs> I guess not. We, we can't talk to those people. I'm, I'm surprised he talked to the Mayanists that he talked to right. when he went down uh, to go see uh, Chitnista. Uh, anyway. So one of the guys emailed me, and he was very polite about it. And he was like, hey, you know, I, I don't appreciate the way that the show represented me. There was a lot of an interview that we did a huge, long interview. They only used five minutes of that interview. It's I don't feel like I was represented properly. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's okay. I said, do you want to put anything on the, do you want me to put anything on the blog or do you want to add a comment? He's like, no, no, I just want people to understand that what you saw on the show was not the entirety of the thing. I still believe X, which was another fringy theory. He said, but my argument wasn't presented properly. And I'm like, okay, "Ah, fair enough, whatever. I disagree with you, but whatever. Right. The other guy started putting, um, threats in my comments thread to the article about how he was going to sue me and he was going to sue me so hard that i was going to be living out of my car <laughs> which is most most field archaeologists live out of their cars anyway and that that was my joke i said well jokes on you i already live out of my car <laughs> because i'm you know when i'm not living in my car i live in a hotel room so i'm not really sure how much farther down you can sue me um, but yeah, he was really, really irate with what I had said about him in my blog post. And his problem was he kept trying to say he was going to sue me for professional slander. Now, this guy is a architect, which is different than an archaeologist. But wait a minute, Sarah, the first four letters are the same, though. Right? And that's like, I'm like, is he confused about what he does for a living? <laughs> and he just, he starts making all of these really, and I love my readers because they really just started taking him to task on some of these claims, but he started making these claims about how, you know, apparently in this particular area in Georgia, there's these stone structures and, and they really are there. It really is an archaeological site that really does exist in Georgia and it's uh-huh. been excavated and studied. I mean, you can go and find it and you right, can right. go look at it. Unlike the Walter claim that he got thrown out of there, which he wasn't. This guy was convinced that these were actually the ruins of Mayan uh, architecture and that he was going to be able to restore them to make them look like actual well, Mayan architecture. And well, I'm like, of course. he's like, well, that's what archaeologists do. And I'm like, no, archaeologists do not do that. We do not restore ruins usually. It's it's very rare that we do that, and that's yeah. usually after the place has been excavated to death. Um, he's, think, he's thinking of like the Knossos, the temple on Crete, which was it's a it's, it's a um, a shit mess trying to figure out what the site really looked like now. Right, um, exactly. Based on because there's so much reconstruction and fixing up archaeologists, at least today, modern archaeologists, fixing things up based on what you expect or what you what you think that it should have looked like is a bad thing to yeah, do. Yeah, we, we don't do that. But he was making the claim that most of the Mayan compounds were reconstructed after they were discovered. And it's like, I, it, that not to my knowledge, but, <coughs> you know, I'm not a Mayanist, so. But it was just, it was very interesting to me. And it was the first time I've ever been threatened to be sued. Uh, so I actually had to call a couple of my lawyer friends and be like, I'm pretty sure he doesn't have a leg to stand on, but, and he doesn't. I mean, everything I was using was well within the fair use and nothing was slanderous right. and all that. I, like, I did nothing wrong. But this guy threatened, kept threatening to sue me for over, I think it was a month long process that he just uh-huh. kept sending. And it, they were comments. He was sending me comments on my blog that he was going to sue me. And I'm just like, 
what do you want from me? I said, I, you can't sue me, but you're obviously upset. What can I right. do to make you stop being this angry? Well, he, he just wanted to make your life miserable. That's all. He was. did. And he wanted me to change a huge section of the blog. And I'm like, no, I'm not doing that because what you want me to say is wrong. Right. I said, I will change your credentials because that was one of his complaints that I was slandering his credentials. And I'm like, I, I said you were an architect. I don't know what you want. And then he right. wanted me to make this big deal out of the fact that he is a specific Native American tribe. And therefore, since he was a Native American from Georgia, that somehow gave him authority to say that this site was a Mayan site. And I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm glad that you're a Native American, but. Right. You know. That's yeah, just just pure craziness. That's I mean, that's really unpleasant. It's never come to that with me. People call me all kinds of names, but nobody's ever you know, knock on wood, nobody's ever threatened to sue me. Well, the trick but, is to just make sure that you don't do anything that they can really sue you for. Like with the right. bullshit show, we've talked about that a few times, how, you know, you can't, they couldn't come out and say, this dude is a liar. But, but you could say he's full of shit. But you could say that's he's just, full of shit. That's just your opinion. Exactly. Right? exactly. I'm just, I'm just yeah. asking questions, you know, yeah. but... It's, I think that's scary. But but the worst that happens, that's ever happened to me, to get back to my, my buddy... My, the, the correspondent who wrote about Egyptian pyramids and had a really nice back and forth with him. Um, I've had this conversation with other archaeologists. What do you do when somebody writes you an email because they, you know, they, they have some new discovery or it, or they're mad at something that you said in a book or on the internet mm-hmm. or on a TV show? And I I try always to respond to people. Um, but I have a rule, and the rule is if I open an email and in the subject line <laughs> it says either asshole or bull or full of shit, I just don't respond. That's, you know, putting that in your subject line is not an invitation to a dialogue, you know? It's like walking by a crazy person in Manhattan and they're, they're saying, fuck you! That you don't talk, you don't sit down and say, well, what, what exactly is your problem, sir? You just keep on <laughs> you walking. Just, you just keep walking. You just keep walking. Um, but one of my favorites was uh, I got an email, a, a pretty long email from somebody, you know, who he didn't he didn't call me anything in the subject line, but in the body of the email, it was I was full of shit. I was part <laughs> of a conspiracy to keep you know to keep things quiet about the archaeological past. Yes, that I great mean, and, and, that great conspiracy. Yeah. And I said, well, you don't, and he said, you don't know what you're talking about, and you just like to make fun of people. And I, I am a little bit snarky at times, but I figure people can handle it. You can be snarky back at me. It's fine. Anyway, so I read, <laughs> I read the, I read the whole email. At the very end of it, he says, let's, you know, let's see if you're brave enough to respond to me. <laughs> and then there's a PS, and the PS was, uh, by the way, please don't bother responding to this email address because it's my mom's. <laughs> I love I, that. I, I have I have this impression, this this vision of some fourteen year old kid sneaking on his mom's laptop, writing this this horrible horrible stuff to a professor, uh, you know, cursing him out, and, all, and and just like, oh my god! And my my initial reaction is, well, if it's a fourteen year old kid and he's taking the time to go online and write me these horrible things about me hiding the truth. There's something wrong with that kid. If you're 14 year old, 14 years old, you should be downloading pornography. (laughs) You shouldn't be harassing me. Now I'm not suggesting that every 14 year old go and download pornography, but that's what normal 14 year olds do. They don't, they don't, they don't call um, archeologists assholes and, don't say they're full of shit. Find something better to do with the internet. That's what the internet was made for. I just like but, that he challenges you to respond and then is like, but don't respond to this email because it's my mom. <laughs> it's like, well, it's how, how am I supposed to respond now? I, well, I think I should have probably written his mother. So, well, I would have done that. that yeah. Your son is emailing and cursing at adults. <laughs> uh, whatever. I, 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 I basically what I did with his email, which is what I do with some of the more extreme ones I get. I save, I screen cap, I screen capture them, and then I put them in a PowerPoint. And I show my classes, and I go, this is the kind of crap I get. And what's funny is, some of the kids in my college classes are, are kind of stunned 
Although I guess with the internet, that, that is one of the things that's that's absolutely true about the internet. I mean, everybody knows this is that when you're not confronting somebody face to face, everybody becomes really brave and really mouthy and will say all kinds of shit that they wouldn't dare say to your face. They, they become bulletproof. Like, uh, you know, they and think it's just kind of like, right, you know, what what the you know what the fuck is the only <laughs> reaction I have for that? You know, if you. If you're really mad at me, okay, confront me. The, that's the thing. The thing that pisses me off more than anything are the people who write me terrible emails, and it, they're not. They don't sign them. They don't give a name. I can't. I can't write back to Bob. It's always, you know, and yeah, I have an email address I can respond to. But why bother? You know, if you want to, you you want to remain anonymous. You want that that safety of not actually getting a response from me, and I know who you are. That's that's the real bullshit. Call think, me out if you want, but you know, let's have a conversation. I think one of my favorite ones was I I moderate the comments on my blog, so you know, take that sure. how you want to. But I got it was really entertaining to me because I got this comment and the way that the blog the the way that WordPress shows these things to you is they show you the comment header and right. then once you've clicked on it, then you see who it was sent by. And this is important because the comment <laughs> header was something like, I strongly, and, and it was very well worded. It's like, I'm, I strongly disagree with your opinions on this. And I'm like, oh, okay. That's fine. So cool. I click on it. And the person who sent it was, fuck you, you're stupid. <laughs> and I was just well, like, well, that's a way to do it, I suppose. So that one didn't that? get approved. But that's, it was very, it's a thoughtful comment, don't you? Think? It was, oh, and there was like, and it, there was like nothing in the body. That that was it. This person had taken the time and effort to to conceive of a way to send a comment so that I would have to click on it to open it before I would see the insult. And I was just like, I, you know, I don't want. I mean, that was funny, and I appreciate the effort, but I still deleted it. It was just bizarre to me. I'm like, thanks, WordPress. Well, that, but that's that's the thing, Sarah. I mean, I, if if somebody is angry at something I've said, somebody disagrees vehemently, that's fine. And there's there's a there's an opportunity for dialogue. In the end, we may talk past one another. In the end, you may not agree with me. I may not agree with you. But we're two human beings who have thought about something, had had actual thoughts in our brains, um, and are and are having a dialogue about who built the pyramids or whether there really was an Atlantis or right. whether Celts invaded New England thousands of years before Columbus. That's fine. But if if your sole purpose in contacting me is to call me something to vent, <laughs> what the, why are you bothered? Why are you wasting your precious time on this planet to do that? Because well, it's what, like, what do you, what do you achieve? And they never like, the really angry ones where they just write down like every swear word in the book or they like visit physical harm upon you. You're just like, even if you respond back to them, they don't write back. They just want to like verbally vomit into an email and send it to you and then never want to have anything to do with you again. I'm just like, what, what is that? Just just write the email and delete it. If that's all you need to do, or you get the people who like have to have the last word. And then, and those people are the most aggravating because the 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 longest coherent uh, email or comment thread I think caps out around ten to twenty comments something like that. So after okay. that, everything else is just BS. So if you see a comment thread that goes beyond like ten comments, I usually don't even read it. Even if I'm part uh, of it, I don't even read them anymore. And it's because you get these people who like have to have the last word, and it doesn't matter what you've said. You could be like, you could even be like, okay, fine, I agree with you. You're right. And they will still email back to be like, yeah, that's right. I'm right. And I'm just like, I, okay. <laughs> so you can't even win for losing with these people. Yeah. But that it, it, it is not about for, – for some folks, it's not about having a dialogue. It's not about – No. Want, it's not even about them wanting to school me in what they – in the mistakes they think I'm making. They just want to vent. Yeah. They just want to give me the finger. Well, why? Why isn't that important to you that you've taken time out of your life and use your little internet to be able to just say, and listen, I have, I, I use curse words. I don't know if you've noticed that. Do and you, so do you telling, swear? T- telling me to go fuck myself doesn't mean I'm, I'm not going to swoon on the couch, guy. So that's not helpful. That doesn't tell me, well, 
what what is it about what I've said that you disagree with so vehemently that you have to drop an f bomb on me? What is it? And more often than not, you're right. You don't get. I I just don't respond to that because there's again, it's pointless and it's a waste of my time. I got better stuff to do. Right. You know? If you want to have a comment with me, because and I have a lot of people that that do email us for the for the podcast and me for the blog. And they, they legitimately have questions or they're like, hey, I don't think you're right because of this or you should go look at. Th-. I mean, even the angriest that, that I usually get is, well, you're wrong and this is why. Go look at this link. And you go look at the link and it's something of something else pseudoscientific. Right. But right, sure. you can tell they're angry. It's in caps and punctuated badly. <laughs> I will yes. still read those. I, I still read those. And I will still try to, depending on what it is, I will still be like, hey, you know, this is why I think this. And this is the right. evidence we have to back that up and blah, blah, blah. Those, that's a conversation. That's, that's you. And, and if you reply back to that, that's right. fine. We can have a conversation up to a point about this. But when you just like, you're just rawr into an email, I'm probably just, I'm just going to delete it. Right, right. It doesn't serve any purpose. And by the way, we have gotten, I've seen a bu- some of the emails that have come to us about the blog. And I mean, there's some really nice stuff people has been, have been, uh, nice things that people have said about, they're, they're so happy. And I don't want to, you know, I'm tooting our own horn here, but no, it's no, really toot nice. Our own horn. But it, no, it really is nice when we get emails from people saying, wow, I, I lucked onto this, this, um, this, podcast and it's great i've always been interested in archaeology and some people write about their their favorite episodes i actually sarah i actually got an email i mean i guess through chris um chris webster about some guy who was uh, our producer yeah right um this was about the the show that i we did about the the project that i ex uh, my lighthouse project this historic site up in northwestern connecticut founded by a native american man and a white woman and their children and the, the, the descendants, 250 years later, the descendants are rediscovering their heritage and the role, the small role that I've played in helping them along. And this this guy emailed us saying, "I was listening to your I, I listened to your podcast. I love it. I was listening this guy in New York. I was listening on the subway, and it was all I could do to not cry because it was just so beautiful. It's such a great story. That's that's the kind of stuff. I'm like, God. I mean, that's that's why we do this." We're not doing this to get people mad at us or to to burst people's bubbles or to let them to tell them that there's no Santa Claus or Easter Bunny. It's like we really love this stuff and we feel passionate about it. It does piss us off when people completely misrepresent what we really do know. Um, right. And when and then when when conversations start veering towards the races, well, they couldn't have built those. They're just Africans. Then we get really pissed off. But if it's just misunderstandings, misconceptions, um, misrepresentations, that's – listen, all we're going to be able to do in this podcast is to tell you this is what we actually do know. Right. We do know that Egyptians built the pyramids. We know that, folks. Yes. We do know that Stonehenge was built by the Neolithic people of England. We do know that Native Americans have been in the New World for maybe 20,000 years. We do know that – ancient art dates back at least 20, 30, 40,000 years ago. These are, these are things that we actually do know. And when people produce constructs of antiquity that, that ignore what we actually do know or denigrate what we say we know, then yeah, that's, that's what this podcast is all, is part of what it's all about is saying, no, you know what? what you're full of shit. Here's <laughs> what we really do know. Well, and I think a lot of people, actually, I know most people are curious. They're honestly wanting to know the answers. And they're, I like that they see this podcast as a place where they can turn and ask questions. Um, and I, I want more resources like that out there so that people, because most people are just confused. And they should be. There's a lot of bad information out there. There's a lot of really bad information on television, on channels that are supposed to be teaching us things, uh, or at least have sold themselves as that, and so people trust them. But, you know, I, I don't feel like most people who approach us with questions or comments are combative or right, disrespectful. Right. They're, they're 
honest. They want to know what's going on or they have really nice things to say. And we do really appreciate the nice comments that we get. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We know we re- of course, of course, we, we really do. And that's and it's nice. It's nice that we've got a, a good audience base and we get some positive feedback. We do. Negative feedback is OK, too. If, Negative if feedback's you think, fine. Call us out if you think we've said something we've misspoken or misstated something. And a while ago, didn't somebody somebody got pissed off because one of us said, I could care less, uh, which actually is a colloquialism. It actually is a regionalism. It's a real thing. I, I know, I know it's not grammatically correct. We got that, but I mean, don't, and, and it's fine to, to correct us on it. I think, but you know, don't turn off the podcast because of something silly like that. I, and also English is an evolving language. That's, that's all I got to say. I mean, at least we're not talking in like tech speak lulls. That's okay. There you go. There you go. There <laughs> I'm you sure go. I'll get an email about that. Or, or middle English. I don't the know. The archaeologists. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't even know if I can do Middle English. No, I don't think we could either. I, I certainly couldn't. All right. Ken, thank you very much. I yeah, think I this mean, has been a fun one. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, um, you 14-year-olds listening to this podcast, <laughs> I was just joking about the porn thing. Porn's don't, not real. Porn's don't not be, real. Don't, don't, be, don't be doing that. The and Internet's we, only we, for cat videos. I, I know you're going to be doing that, but, but I, as an adult have to formally tell you do not do not under any circumstances look at porn as one will call no it don't do a dinosaur thanks for listening we hope you've enjoyed it our music was provided by archaeosuit productions if you like what you've heard please subscribe and rate us on itunes or stitcher and share us wherever you use social media you can contact us with your questions comments or angry email at archiefantasies at gmail.com. You can follow the podcast at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com slash archiefantasies. You can follow the blog at www.archiefantasies.com and get updates on Tumblr and Twitter at archiefantasies. You can also look for us on Facebook. If you're looking for the show notes for this episode, go to the podcast website at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com slash archiefantasies. Thanks again for listening. No, we don't do dinosaurs. No, we don't do dinosaurs. We don't do dinosaurs. This show is produced by Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www archaeologypodcastnetwork.com Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com